Hello everyone and welcome to Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Bradley. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And this is episode 12. And this episode we'll be looking at Batman material from February 1940, which is still just one comic book. In this case, it's Detective Comics number 37. Yep. Uh, but before we do that, we have a another email and then some comments we'd like to read. Uh, the email we got was from Mike. Awesome name. Um, and it says, Hey guys, listening to show number eight, could some of the story problems be from the story being edited down to fit? Or was it not enough time to get the issue out? Or did Gardner just not care to go into details thinking kids of this time didn't need the info, just action? But really, talking flowerheads, what the... <laughs> uh, enjoy the good, enjoy the show. Good luck with it, Mike. Um, I can't. I don't think you can blame the the page count because everybody was working with that constraint. Right. At this point, it's not like most people had twenty two pages and he only had you know eight to twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the story we covered in episode eight was his sixth story, so you'd think by then he would have gotten it down to. Yeah, you know. I think it's more likely. Mike's other theory that it's just it was geared towards kids, so you didn't necessarily right. need that information. Right. And Wizard of Oz, as we figured out. And Wizard out. of Oz, yes. Um, our next bit of feedback is actually a comment posted on the website. And this comes comes from Mike Poteet in, in reply to episode one, though it was just posted a couple weeks ago. And uh, he writes, Michael and Michael, first of all, love the names. Second of all, great idea for a podcast. I enjoyed your first episode and commend you for taking on this project. Covering the entire history of such a storied figure is a daunting task, but I'm looking forward to following your efforts. I have to confess I'm only a casual Batman fan at best. I don't read any Bat title except Batgirl, and with my nine-year-old son, the current Johnny DC, Brave and the Bold. Well, and the very occasional issue of Superman Batman. But I do enjoy the character, particularly in the Chris Nolan films. I have fond memories of watching the Adam West show in syndicated afternoon reruns as a little kid, and I'm certainly willing to learn more from your podcast. My knowledge of Batman in the comics is mostly from Miller's Year One and The Dark Knight Returns, as well as the Loeb Sale collaborations, and I certainly and I certainly know where there is much more out there. I do have one other fond Batman memory from childhood. When I was sick at home one weekend, my mother bought me the pocket-sized paperback black-and-white edition of The Untold Legends of the Batman, and I devoured it. I recently reacquired a copy via eBay and was thrilled to to find it holds up. Again, great job with the podcast and looking forward to much more. P.S. I should also mention I have always been fascinated with the character of Man Bat. A childhood book and record set really intrigued me. So I look forward to hearing what you have to say about Dr. Langstrom and his alter ego when you eventually reach the 1970s. Cool. Thank you. Sounds like uh, Mike's history with Batman is about like ours. Yeah, pretty much. Year one and and the Jeff Loeb stuff. Um, I swear I've read that book he was talking about, or a book very much like it, where it's just a bunch of short stories of Batman adventures. I remember one of them involves some sort of – I don't remember the story exactly, but some sort of villain who wore – people's heads on his feet <laughs> and i remember just absolutely being frightened to death of that story and I, maybe it's not in the same book maybe it was a different book but I, i'll never forget that maybe i maybe i'm thinking of it incorrectly even someone's going to write it and say that didn't happen but that's was what i like remember a, was it was it like a campy story where he just had feet on his heads or was it a no no it was um, all dark? the all the stories were modern stories dark stories wow so it was a scary story and it worked i was scared that's kind of twisted. Yeah. Um, the next feedback we have is another website comment, this time on Episode 7, which was the episode where we covered the origin. And it's from our good friend Glade Packer, and it reads, Though brief, I love the origin. My favorite version would have to be from The Man Who Falls. Denny O'Neill is one of the best writers, in my opinion, and has definitely made Batman awesome in my eyes. I was wondering, which writer or writers are your favorites, in which Batman comic, I assume he means comics, do you enjoy reading over and over? Maybe he just meant one issue. I don't know. Could be. You want to I, answer that first? Uh, sure. I can't really say that I have a favorite Batman writer. Um, I just haven't been exposed to enough of his stories in the comics, especially the modern stuff, which I assume Glade is talking about here. 
um, as far as the Batman comic I enjoy reading over and over, I would say anything with Superman in it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, that's because pri- I'm primarily a Superman fan, you know. Right. Um, but again, I I guess that's kind of bad that I don't have an answer for that, given that I'm doing a Batman podcast. But well, but we already said at the beginning of this the first episode that we're kind of doing this so we can read more Batman. So right, right. We're certainly not experts, but um, as far as writers go, I really like uh, Chuck Dixon. Um, Alan Grant was the guy writing at the time I was reading regularly with and norm brayfogel was drawing so that's my answer for artists i really like norm brayfogel's batman i also like um i like the the simpler approaches to the character like steve root or um i'm gonna botch this guy's name but david mazzuccelli i think is how you pronounce it or kelly maybe um from batman year one okay um michael lark things like that um as far as comics i've read over and over definitely batman year one that's like probably my top two favorite comic book story arcs of all time. Um, the other one being <laughs> Daredevil Born Again, which is by the same creative team, so I don't know what that says about me. But um, Killing Joke, read that many a time. Um, yeah, otherwise I can't say there's been a lot. I, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but those are the two that pop into my head. Yeah, as soon as we get done recording, I'll probably come up with a whole list of them that I, I, I should have mentioned. But, right. Um... So our next uh, comment is again from Glade Packer, and he writes, Hey guys, I was just wondering if you have seen Justice League The New Frontier, and if so, if you think the red-hooded guy Batman encounters, and by encounter I mean punching in the face and breaking his arm, might be a nod to the Mad Monk. And now that I write this, could be a subtle reference to the character the Red Hood. Now on to my thoughts about this episode. Do you think that the brief encounter Bruce has with this faceless man... Oh, with the Faceless Man inspired Steve Ditko to create the question. After watching Justice League Unlimited, he quickly became a favorite character of mine. On that note, as well, do you happen to know of any podcasts about the question? As always, keep up the awesome work and look forward looking forward to your next episode, Glade. P.S. I haven't had the opportunity to try out that belt breaking glass experiment yet. Oh man. You need to get on that, Glade. I know, really. Um and then you need to start a question podcast because I don't think there are any. I I don't know of any if if there are any I could I can't I don't know what the source of you know the inspiration for the question was um I think the source for the faceless man in in the detective story we covered is probably the Dick Tracy villain the blank who came out in 1937 looked very much like this guy in the detective story we covered so, you know the hat and the blank face and the trench coat mm-hmm. um so maybe that's where Steve Ditko also got that idea, or maybe from this detective story. Who knows? I mean, it comes, it came out in 1967. The question did, so could have been both of those things, or neither. I have no idea, honestly. And as far as that, what was the episode title again? He was talking about. That was episode eight. No, I mean the uh, Justice no. League, or then he at the beginning of his comment. Oh, Justice League: The New Frontier. Oh yeah, I've seen that. That was the one based off the Darwin Cook miniseries. Right, I saw that one time, I and I don't remember that scene at all, so I couldn't tell you what I think of it. Right, um, I just saw the ones too. I've read the the uh, the comic series twice, or maybe three times, uh-huh. uh, but you know, it could have been inspired by them, or a nod to the Mad Monk, or it could have just been a coincidence. I I would have to go back and look at it again to to tell you uh, right. what I think, you know, one way or the other. But or we could just ask Darwin Cook mm-hmm. if anybody knows him, which I don't. If you're listening, Darwin, write us an email. Right. I'm looking on iTunes right now. I don't see any question podcasts. Yeah, um, I, I've never come across them, but and I, then I, again, there's podcasts about lots of things that I haven't come across yet. So Right. But I did do a Google search, but all I found was lots of website about podcast questions. So it, could be, it would kind of be a cool podcast if someone did it. I think the question's kind of neat. I would maybe be interested in hearing about someone talk about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Yeah, he's definitely cool in Justice League Unlimited. I don't know if I've read any particular comics that stand out in my head. Go for it, Glade. Come on, do a podcast. I'll write you an email if you do a podcast. <laughs> All right, so we ready to talk about Detective Comics number 37? I am ready. All right. 
Detective Comics number 37 was cover dated March 1940 and was released sometime around February 6th of that year. It had the normal 10 cent price and 64 pages. The cover was by Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson, and it shows Batman fighting a couple of armed goons on a dock. Um, and unlike the last few covers, this cover actually does tie into the story that we're about to talk about. So, you know how lame I am is uh, I've gotten so used to these covers being, you know, one cover ahead of the. Uh-huh. Or, of the I was actually trying to figure out how this cover tied into last story. Oh. Um, and I didn't even realize that it actually portrays this story. Yeah. Uh, how funny. This is the last Detective Comics cover with only Batman for a good long time. Because starting next issue, he will be joined by Commissioner Gordon. Maybe. Batman and Commissioner Gordon on every cover from here on. Every cover, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, as for the story inside, uh, it was untitled originally, but has later gained gained the name The Screaming House. It was 12 pages long, written by Bill Finger, with art by Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson, and edited by Whitney Ellsworth. And last episode, I had some information in my notes that I somehow completely skipped over. Uh, last episode was the uh, – we saw two new faces join the book, uh, Whitney Ellsworth and Jerry Robinson. And I felt we should have sort of uh, talked more about those because we kind of just glossed right over them. Uh, but well, I think, la- I think with the editor, we, we, we talked more about whether he actually edited that book or not and forgot to talk about the fact that you know right. he, he was new. Right. But um, like I said, it was uh, Jerry Robinson's first work for DC last issue, and we're going to be seeing a lot more of him on the books in the months to come. And he he actually played a big part in contributing several several characters that became mainstays. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll talk more about that, of course. But it also marked the return of Whitney Ellsworth to the company. Ellsworth and Vin Sullivan were the first – uh, assist, assistant or associate editors for National under Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson. And Ellsworth left the company around late 1937 or early 1938 and went and worked in California for a few years and then returned uh, around you know, the beginning of 1940 and took over as editor when Sullivan left. So – and we'll, he'll be around uh, till 1942, I want to say. And just to go back to Jerry Robinson, um, for those of you who are interested, uh, he's actually on Facebook, which I just found out the other day. So, cool. So, befriend the guy, maybe. I don't know how often he posts on there, but that's just kind of wild that this guy he we're talking a, about is on Facebook. He has a website as well, jerryrobinson.com, I believe. He does, and he also just came out with a book, I think. Or that site is plugging a book. Anyway, I don't know how recent the book book is, but maybe that's something we should be reading. Oh, I'm sorry. It's jerryrobinsonart.com. Right. And yeah. he has uh, various prints you can order and uh, some biographical information. And mm-hmm. It's a cool site. you got to check it out because it, it talks more about what he did outside of Batman, which we won't really get into too much on this podcast. But Right. Plus, he's a comic legend. so Definitely. So, uh, so we have Batman, who is still totally awesome. But in this, <laughs> in this story, he has done something that is not totally awesome because it seems the Batman was out tooling around in his car and has gotten lost. And as our story gets underway, the Batman has stopped at a house, uh, presumably to ask directions. And as he approaches, he hears a tortured scream coming from the house. Batman races to the house and sneaks inside where he sees a trio of men using a hot poker to torture another man named Joey. The thugs are working on behalf of a man named Turg and are trying to get Joey to tell them to whom he sold certain information. The Batman confronts the men, and after drawing a gun on the Batman, they think they've got him cornered. However, with a boot to the face, a left hook, and an uppercut, the Batman makes quick work of the three thugs. The Batman unties Joey, and while using the ropes to tie up the thugs, asks Joey why the men were torturing him. But before the Batman can hear an answer, Joey clocks him on the back of the head with the butt of the gun, knocking him unconscious. Joey then turns the gun on the three thugs, shooting each of them dead and silencing them from telling Turg what they know. Some Sometime later, 
the Batman revives and finds the men dead. He figures out that Joey must have shot them to keep them from talking to Turg and wonders what information the men held. Returning home, Bruce reckons that Turg isn't a common name and uses a phone book to find three people with that name. The next day, finding that the first two Turgs on the list are quote-unquote quite respectable, Bruce pays a visit to the third, a grocery owned by Elias Turg. Bruce notes that the store is in an odd place, uh, being that there's no houses or anything around. And as Bruce buys a pound of sugar, he sees Joey and Turg emerge from the back of the store, get in a car, and leave. That night, Bruce, as the Batman, returns to the store, knocking out the clerk. The Batman then slips into the back of the store and surprises Turg, Joey, and a couple other random thugs. The Batman makes a few quips, and just as Turg orders his men to shoot the Batman... Our hero turns off the lights, causing the thugs to shoot blindly. Dodging the gunfire, the Batman slips on a pair of night vision goggles, which allows him to see in the dark. With some quips and a few punches, the Batman thoroughly confuses the room full of thugs and bids them goodbye. With the Batman gone, the crooks turn the lights back on and discuss how it is that the Batman found them. Believing that Joey is to blame, since the Batman had called him by name, Turg pulls a knife and stabs Joey in the chest. Turg then tells his thugs that they must accelerate their dastardly plans, which are apparently to blow up a ship, and they all head to the pier. Once the thugs are gone, the Batman emerges from behind a stack of boxes. It seems he really didn't leave it all, but merely hid to eavesdrop on the crooks. He asks the dying Joey if they have any more information on the thugs' plans. And Joey tells him that the men are spies and are planning to blow up a foreign ship but frame the United States to start an international incident. He then gives the Batman a phone number that he had stolen from Turg and says that he wasn't a spy, but that he, he had only joined with Turg because he needed money. And as Joey breathes his last, the Batman swears he will avenge Joey's death. Later at the pier, Turg's men work out a plan to rig the explosion when they are greeted by the Batman. But before they can make a move, one of the thugs drops a sack of grain on the Batman's head rendering him unconscious. Emptying the sack, the thugs stuff the Batman inside and toss the sack into the water. The water brings the Batman back to consciousness, and he pulls a knife, cutting his way out of the sack, then swims back to the dock. The Batman grabs a rope and swings towards the men. After a furious round of blows, the Batman knocks the two men overboard, but the boat loaded with the dynamite has already started its voyage towards the larger boat. The Batman runs down the pier and makes a huge leap, successfully landing in the bomb-laden boat. With only minutes left, the Batman desperately steers the boat as it inches closer and closer to its target. Finally, he is able to divert its path just inches before it, the boat meets an explosive end. With the crisis averted, the Batman heads home and deduces that the phone number Joey gave him belongs to a Count Grut. The Batman pays a visit to the Count and after knocking out a guard, confronts Grut, who is really Elias Turg. It seems that Grut had been masquer masquerading as Turg to hide the fact that he was a foreign agent. The Count throws a sword at the Batman, but the Batman opens a closet door, causing the blade to pierce through the door. Grut tries to escape, but the Batman hits him with a hard jab, knocking Grut backwards and impaling him on the sword. The Batman says it's better Grut die than the thousands he would have caused to die on the battlefield then ruminates over the strange case that started in a mysterious old house and ended with foreign spies, ultimately deciding to put the whole thing behind him. <laughs> so this story starts out horribly. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, that man getting lost just isn't... Uh... I mean, talk about it making your hero look like an idiot. <laughs> I mean... About as unheroic as possible. Well, I can't right. figure out where I am. Let me ask for directions. <laughs> uh, and and making matters worse, we're still using the Super Batman logo. Oh yeah, and it's, but it's it's even uglier. Right, right. Because instead of defining the top of each letter, they've just like drawn a huge arc across the whole thing, which like it was just too difficult to <laughs> to detail it like that anymore. So let's just right. Eh. right. But you'll be happy to know that I, I peeked ahead a little bit, and I think this is the last time we use this logo. Yay. Yay. But the caption, the first caption is in a bat logo, or a bat shape, which is kind of cool. Yes. 
Yes, I like how it's stylized in a bat. And actually, the the opening drawing is pretty cool. I mean, we get a nice view of his car, mm-hmm. and his it, you know his cape is like flowing, and everything's blue. And it, the car looks more stylized too, uh-huh. not, not with the bat motif, but uh, you know just more detailed. Yeah. But I don't know if that's because we really haven't gotten this close of a look at a car in any of Kane's art until now, or. Yeah, it's very possible. He they they never really have focused on the car that much, so this is a big money shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the whole being lost thing, and then of course to add even just more misery on top of that, that also means that this is another one of those coincidental chance encounters. Right. Yeah, I had a note about that. I said, uh, despite the humor, that uh, this will annoy Kaiser because Batman is once again coming across a crime by pure luck. Right. It does. It's like I know that what they were thinking is like, well, how how do we get him out to this house? How do we get this story started? And yeah. Oh, I know. Let's just make him lost. Okay. <laughs> and then I'll even on top of that, this this panel where he talks about how he's probably sticking his head out for trouble but he's going to go look anyway and investigate this scream that's another like unheroic moment you know he's lost and he's not necessarily interested in yeah i don't know really what to make of that it's it's kind of a it's like that like when he's he, hesitating or something and i don't like, really know it's like when he found that faceless guy it's like well i should investigate this but <laughs> i have to go eat yeah yeah i'm probably sticking my head out for trouble um Pretty much like you do every night when you dress up as a bat and go out and beat up criminals. So right, right. That makes no sense, but whatever. I guess he's just trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. A finger, you mean? Or or fingers trying to make Batman funny. Maybe that's a joke on his part. Oh, okay. I don't know. A hot poker to the chest, though. That is pretty. Yes. Moving on to page two here. Yeah, that's pretty violent. So we haven't quite got away from. You know the initial golden age violence that we've experienced in these story, these early stories. No. So I know this will start going away pretty soon here, but yeah, hot poker, definitely hardcore. Um, but I'm kind of missing Fox's, you know, more silent and dramatic Batman. Yeah. Right here, like this guy's getting pokers in the chest, and Batman walks in and says, "Hey, he might catch a cold. You got his shirt open, <laughs> you know?" Right. Yeah. Whereas the... I think Fox would have just slammed through the window and had Batman start punching these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of the quipping, and I'm I'm definitely not a big fan of the the funny joke Batman either. No, but I do like this panel on the bottom where it's they're like, oh, the Batman, eh? You're not so smart as you might seem, and then he just <laughs> kicks the guy right in the face <laughs> right. and says, on the contrary, <laughs> that yeah. was pretty funny. Um, it's a great fight. Uh, it, it's a great fight scene here, though. And going on to the next page, uh, it's quick, but. You know, it's really no nonsense. I mean, he just, like you said, he just kicks the guy in the face and then punches the next guy. So, yeah. And it doesn't, I like it too that it doesn't feel too far fetched. I mean, I think a guy that's very athletic could actually take out three guys like this. Where, you know, last episode, last issue, we had him fighting eight or nine guys at one time. Yeah. Be a bit far fetched. Well, yeah, you start pushing it. With Batman, if you start having him fight too many people, unless he does the ninja route, then I'm cool with it, you know? Uh-huh. If the place is dark and he's taking him out one at a time or right. using well, his... Yeah, that's, that's a little different. All but... that stuff. But yeah, he was just directly attacking eight people last issue. So yeah, this is better. He can handle three. But on the... To go back to the, the funny jokes and quips, I actually had a thought about that this week, and... Maybe I've been a bit too hard on that because I'm comparing him to future Batman. Right. You know, taken on its own, just with what we've seen in these uh, 11 issues, it doesn't seem as out of place. and actually doesn't bother me as much. Well, and it all, but still, like, comparing Finger to Fox, though. Right. Fox's Batman was very quiet. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't talk that much. So... You can definitely tell the difference in, in writing styles when Finger comes back and Batman gets a lot jokier. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the joke that I hated the most, though, was – oh, right here where he says, what did they have against you besides the hot poker? The guy just got tortured with a hot <laughs> poker, and Batman's making light of it. It just came off like a, a jerk move to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is the second time in a row. Or second story in a row where Batman gets knocked out from behind. Uh-huh. Um, 
but it's it's classic though. Getting knocked out by the guy you just saved that was that was really cool. I like that. Yeah. yeah, I did like that. Although you know they were the bad guys were torturing this guy and accusing him of being a double crosser. So you'd think maybe Batman wouldn't turn his oh. back on him, but but yeah, more brutality here. Joey is pretty uh, vicious when it comes to the guys that are tied up. He oh just, yeah, he just shoots them. Although they were you know poking him with a hot poker, so right. But still, and uh, Joey calls uh, Batman Mister Batman. Which I liked, uh, and what was interesting about that is because it's the same person writing Joey's dialogue as, say, Commissioner Gordon or whoever. Mm-hmm. And I like that Finger puts in these little bits of characterization to yeah. say, okay, Joey's going to call him Mister Batman. Mm-hmm. It's just a small detail, but I really like that. Yeah. And on a related note, I've noticed that Finger really thinks things through, and uh, the gun here is a good example because the thug has the gun. And then Batman knocks it out of his hand well, when he kicks him in the face. And then Joey grabs that gun and uses it on the thugs. Yeah. And that may seem like a no-brainer to us today, but this kind of that kind of detail and foresight weren't always prevalent in Golden Age comics. True. Uh, you know, the gun could have – the gun wasn't important until Joey used it. And the thug could have just tried to stab Batman with the poker, but Finger said, hey, Joey needs a gun, so instead of just having him pull it out of nowhere – he, you know, went forward a couple, or back a couple panels and put one in, which I really liked. Yeah, they put a lot of detail into that idea. Not so much the how does Batman get here in the first place idea, but well, uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. That is. That what is I'm finding good. is that Finger has a hard time starting the stories and ending the stories. Yeah, that's um, true, huh? Talk more about that a little um, at the end of the story, but um. Yeah. But the the middle part's really good. So, and uh, Batman is very self-effacing uh, here at the end too. He he realizes he messes up, and that he's not perfect. And this line here about um, oh this line here about uh, Batman where he says you know letting letting Joey get the jump on him reminded me of that hope I don't get blown up line from several issues ago. <laughs> right, right. So, but this this is where I, I really start noticing that um, on page four here where Batman's talking to himself a lot. Uh-huh. Um, again, with Fox, it was a lot more just silent panels. Um, so I could see why, you know, maybe Finger would push for having Batman someone to talk to. Right. Because Finger's, Finger's stories are very much about solving cases mm-hmm. and having Batman figure things out as we go. And the only way to convey that to the reader is to have Batman talk because apparently thought balloons didn't exist yet. Yeah, they didn't use them very much at all. So it's cool to see Batman using his brain and figuring things out, but at the same time, as I was reading this, I was thinking, boy, he's just sitting there in a cabin full of dead people talking to himself, isn't he? Right. Um, I I guess sometimes you just have to read those as thought balloons. Yeah. Rather than Batman just standing there talking to no one. Yeah. But it is kind of funny to think he's just sitting there talking out loud to no one in particular. (laughs) Right. Uh, But then... uh, Mr. What's his name? Joey. No. Turg. Turg is is listed in the phone book, and that kind of made me. Yeah. Grown a little bit. It reminded <laughs> me of the filing cabinet thing, where all the information is just right there. Well, that's a little that's a little different. I mean, that that requires Batman to have some foresight and planning, you know, secret True. files and all that. Here he's just <laughs> pulling out a phone book, and it's a good thing Turg wasn't a Smith or a Jones, or you know, he would have been up a creek. But um, well, it just I'm seems also, odd to me that a mob guy would have his name listed in a phone book. Well, he's probably a professional. Well, he's he's got the grocery store as a front, though. True. Yeah. True, but um, you know, would a uh, Al Capone have his name in the phone book? I don't know. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Good point. But um, the the plot point that Batman was lost, which he used to start the story, is just dropped because we're not really told how Bruce gets home. Yeah. So, that annoyed me. Well, they'd have to spend 12 pages of him hitting house after house asking for directions, <laughs> you know? Can you imagine? You're, 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 you're in bed, sleeping, it's 2 in the morning, and you hear a knock on the door, and you go to open the door, and there's a guy in a bat costume at your front door. Yeah. Direct me to I-69, please. Just, yeah. Or that cliche scene where there's two old men on a, on a park bench or whatever, <laughs> and the Batmobile pulls up. It's like, hey, how do you get back to New York? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and then Bruce says, tomorrow I will call upon the Turks. No, do it now. Stop waiting for criminals to do more crime. You're, uh, yeah. You just get out there and do it and not. He has been very um, lax in that department lately. Passive aggressive or whatever. Yeah. Passive. Yeah. yeah. Passive. And I swear to spend the rest of my life warring on all criminals tomorrow. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he probably has to eat. It's six o'clock. Well, probably, right. So when he finally uh, decides to investigate, he goes to the store and buys a pound of sugar, which is way funnier to me than it probably should be. No, I found that funny, too. I even made a note of that also. I don't know why that's funny, but it is. I'm just glad he was dressed as the uh, as Bruce instead of Batman when he went to order the sugar. <laughs> right. Wearing his orange jacket again. Right. Smoking a pipe. Smoking a pipe. Page five, we have an awesome... Uh, shadow on the wall as Batman is ascending the staircase. Mm-hmm. It's huge. That is very cool, but I do feel like this page is a little wonky in the sense that there's a lot of shots of Batman's cape from behind. Not even on just this page, but throughout this whole story. Uh-huh. Like, it's just a fast way of portraying Batman. Because it, it really is, you know. You don't have to do any body detail. Right. And you show him from behind with his cape outstretched. It's just a silhouette, essentially. So... Mm-hmm. So there's two on this page alone, in addition to the shadow shot. So that pretty much makes three. And we get lots of silhouettes, too, of other characters. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were in a rush job on this one. It could have been, yeah. But I um, I think I have the same note you do about the night vision goggles, so I'll let, mm-hmm. you, talk, I'll let you talk about that. But before, oh, no, go ahead. I think your notes were better than mine. Well, before we get to that, I love this shot of all the guys at the table looking up and seeing Batman at the door. Uh-huh. Um, I think I like it in my head more than on this page because I could just see this animated like <laughs> like like all these nefarious crooks talking about their dastardly deeds and then they look up and just see Batman standing there and I could just see like him put on this mischievous smile and like flick the light switch off and right and uh-huh. thing, and people start screaming you know I mean that yeah. just is awesome. You hear screams and punches, and then the Gun lights shots. come back on, and Batman is standing in the middle of the room with the, the thugs lying all around him. Yeah, yeah, I really like that setup. Um, but as far as the night vision goggles, uh, first of all, I think that's really cool that he has night vision goggles. Oh, definitely. Um, that he invented himself, apparently. Now, is this, not to interrupt, but is this the first kind of gadgetry we've seen from Finger? Aside uh. from the, like the, the car and the rope? And the gas pellets, I guess. You know, I think even the rope was Fox. No, that was he had that in the uh, first, the second, second uh, story. Okay. He was swinging from building to building and hanging. Okay. Remember hanging outside the window. Oh right, right. But yeah, I think you're right. Otherwise, um, that was all Fox. The battering and the the gyro and mm-hmm. the gas pellets and all that stuff. Um, but. So he has these night vision goggles, and so, of course, Mike and I both instantly decided to look up whether or not he should have night vision goggles, I guess. Um, and the first commercial night vision device offered on the market was developed by a Dr. V.K. Zworkin in 1933, but was not su- not a success due to size and cost, and wasn't really like goggles, but more like a telescope you had to you know, point and look through. And then uh, by the end of World War II, which is after this issue, uh, Germany had developed its own night vision telescope device, which they used to equip their tanks and assault rifles. And it wasn't until Vietnam that um, actual night vision goggles were invented. So Batman is way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time in this issue, which I think is awesome. Right. Um, I don't know if maybe some other sci-fi story has already... I assume this isn't Finger's invention, the idea of night vision goggles, but I have no idea where it would have initiated, you know, fiction-wise. Right. A lot of times you see these things, and I just imagine these writers reading, you know, uh, magazines at the time and seeing mentions of different new technology they were coming up with and then incorporating that into the stories. Yeah. Both, not just Batman, but other, other stories from around this time, too. Yeah. But I also like that this makes it... To where the criminals believe that he can see in the dark. Yes. That he's supernatural somehow, like a yeah. real like a real bat can. Well, not really see in the dark. But yeah, they, bat, yeah, bats can't really see. They yeah. 
well, they criminal these criminals are stupid, so they think bats can see in the dark. Um, but this is like the first time we've kind of seen criminals talking about the supernatural nature of Batman, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a very Batman thing to have criminals believing he's more than he really is. Right. But sadly, this scene reminded me as well of the climax to Batman Forever. The climax to Batman Forever. Yeah. I must have blocked it from my memory. That's the yeah, one with... Uh, the Riddler has... Uh, Nicole... Uh, oh. The blonde. I can't mm. think of her name right now. Nicole Kidman. Okay. Yeah, Nicole Kidman and Robin tied up. Dr. Chase, that's who it was. Dr. Chase. Meridian Dr. Chase. Chase Meridian. Meridian. Yeah. yeah. And Robin tied up separately. And then he tells Batman a joke. Gosh, what is it now? Anyway, the pun the punchline of the joke is blind as a bat, and Batman flips down his night vision stuff, oh. throws a batarang up, knocks out the light, and yeah, we both blocked it from our minds, I guess. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but I just remember him, you know, knocking out the thing and operating the operating more in the dark. Yeah. So anyway, but that horrible movie is not this this story's fault. <laughs> Um, but after being cool in the dark with the night vision goggles, he's kind of a jerk afterward because he, he just hides and lets Joey get stabbed to death. (laughs) Yeah. What's that about? Although Joey's kind of a jerk himself and a murderer and eventually Batman probably would have just broke his neck anyway. So what's the difference? (laughs) But this is the first, they reveal themselves to be spies. So this is a technically, not technically, this is the first time. A finger villain isn't about money. Right. Um, he's moving out. He's venturing out a little bit and coming up with a new idea. It's the first first story period with more uh, – with international implications. We haven't right. gotten war stuff yet, but that's coming. Yeah, this isn't this isn't specifically tied to World War II, but it obviously is inspired by World War II. Mm-hmm. They don't say where they're from or who they're working for, but right. you, could, you could guess it's Germany if you wanted to. The the whole plot to blow up a, a boat though did that just not come out of nowhere to you? It does, but uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I kind of like that you follow Batman along on the discovery, yeah. but but yeah, it does seem like a a, a turn. Yeah, it's kind of I guess it's all part of the mystery, but I'm not really sure. Did they did they say why the ship is important to blow up? No, just they were going to blow it up. The the foreign ship, Ronage Ronage. Something. Okay, but so, uh, they were going to make it look like the U.S. did it to start an oh. international incident. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That's a good reason. Yeah. Okay. Um, but now that's even funnier that a spy would list him himself in a phone book. But, mm-hmm. You know, before I thought he was a mobster. That's kind of silly. Well, okay. Turk was his cover identity, though. True. He was trying to look like a normal U.S. citizen. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't think I would do it still, but. <laughs> uh. But uh, Batman shows up and gets knocked out for the second time this issue. <laughs> yeah. So he better go to the doctor after this, I think. <laughs> and it's not it wasn't a it wasn't an especially interesting trap. I mean I guess it's No, they just drop a sack on his head. Well, I mean I mean the afterwards where they put him in the sack and throw him in the river. Oh, okay. Or the ocean or whatever it is. Yeah. Um you know, he pulls out a knife and gets out. So I guess it's an obligation to trap him in every story now, but it wasn't really difficult for Batman to escape this one. No, but if he had been... He was unconscious when they threw him in the water, but it said the water... Woke him up. Revived him, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and moving on to page nine, I like this panel right here in the middle. It's kind of a widescreen panel with the thugs running away in the foreground, and the, the main action of the panel is actually kind of tiny in the background, and I kind of dig that. Yeah. Something... Something a little different, you know. Uh-huh. I don't see it all the time, but just it's like from the point of view of the criminals who are running away, right? Um, who also shout out, he's got more lives than a cat, which could just be an expression, or it could also just be, or it could also be more, more, you know, mythology being added to the Batman where mm-hmm. he can see in the dark and he can't die, you know. Right. They yeah, say which, he can't be killed. They say I, he drinks blood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Uh, but then we get more. Batman talking finger style, and I, I hate this. Come on, suckers. 
Uh, I I liked that. Not necessarily the line though, but you can tell Batman is just mad. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I like the silhouette shot. The last panel is uh, yeah. all, all in silhouette, but you see him punching two guys off a pier, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. But again, that could just be shortcuts they're taking to get I through think this it issue. Is. Yeah. But sometimes that it, works. I read somewhere, and I don't know the the truth behind it. I only read it at one site or one book or whatever, and I don't remember where I read it. But uh, what I read was that Finger was sometimes quite often late with his stories. Yeah, I've read that in quite a few places. Because okay. he, apparently he was a um, perfectionist. Ah. So he was never happy with his stories. And at some point you just had to tell him, look, you're done. Um, so that was – he was a perfectionist. He was hard on himself. That kind of goes towards the whole not taking credit for his work. Okay. So like Bob Kane was able to just come in and say, this is my story. And Finger never said, hey, 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 no way. Yeah. Because he hated his stuff. Yeah. In, in a way, that's good that he wasn't, you know, always trying to grab the grab the spotlight. But in a way, I wish he would have been a little more assertive. Yeah. To 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 actually claim credit for the things that he contributed to the. Or if Bob so. was just nicer and gave him credit, that would have been cool well, too. Well, yeah, that would have been better too. Yeah. yeah. I don't have much to say though on page ten. I mean, it's cool. He commandeers the boat with the bomb and he rigs it to steer clear of the ship. Um. The only thing I really have to say is, one, I think it would have been cool to actually see the ship blow up, like some sort of payoff. I don't think we ever really do. Yeah. Unless that panel's supposed to be a blown up ship, but it doesn't look like it to me. Um, it's like the next page is, he's just... Wait, no, it... It doesn't blow up. No, that was the point. The TN, or the, the bomb or whatever, the explosives were on the boat that Batman was steering. Right. And he, he had to steer it away from the bigger ship... Oh, so that it wouldn't blow up. Right. Oh, so I was thinking it was on a timer or something. And it no. should just blow up. But okay, that makes sense then. Yeah. Um, and the only other thing I had to say was that the second to the last panel where you see Batman steering the thing, that's very Silver Age looking Batman to me. Right yes. Right there. Um, yeah. He's still kind of waffling back and forth between being the original dark and grim figure and. Finer art and, the, yeah. The... But he's getting closer. So over on page 11, the the Turg Grut thing kind of came out of nowhere too. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm not really even sure that it was needed. I mean, there it's were not. references <laughs> There were references earlier to a big boss. So I guess it didn't come completely out of nowhere, but why for the sake of story did Turg have to have a fake identity? This is something I said on my cap show, so sorry if I'm repeating myself to anybody, but basically why is it that Golden Age stories are always unveiling the bad guy to secretly be someone we don't care about, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> they do that a lot. At least in Captain America, they, I've, we've only covered two Golden Age issues, and they, they've done it like three times. <laughs> and at least in those stories, they had the guy in his other identity, you know, in the beginning of the story or in the middle of the story somewhere. You know, yeah. we, we still don't care about him, but they at least had him here. They just make up an alias and at the end. Right. Like, we didn't see this guy going around as this character. At all, no. There was no. It was very Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. You know, they they pull the mask off, and it's somebody we've never even heard of. But um, I, I guess, I guess Count Grut wouldn't have been in the phone book, being a foreign agent. Right. But the phone book thing was stupid anyway. I would have much rather seen Batman going through and actually doing some detective work instead of just looking at a phone book. Yeah. Yeah, he gets lost and he uses a phone book. Not especially exciting. Right. Um, yeah. But I do like this this sword throwing thing. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, Leads to another very brutal death, but yeah. Yeah. That's what I like about it. <laughs> um, and I just like when Batman uses his environment to help beat up the bad guys. Um, but this is, I think, and I guess we will find out soon enough, but I believe this is the last human Batman will ever kill. So. Batman. Huh? Batman. What do you mean, Batman. Oh, maybe you haven't read the next story yet. Oh, I see Never what mind. you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yes. Tune in next episode to find out what I'm talking about. Right. Maybe, if I remember. Um, but this is a really weird speech by Batman here at the end. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? I it, Like I think. said earlier, it kind of feels like Finger doesn't really know how to end the story after Grut's death. So he just has Batman talk. Well, it's like he's justifying that it was okay to kill this guy. Yeah. 
it's it's better that he dies than than you know other people dying, right? Right, Batman. <laughs> um, and then this last panel that promotes this next story is not going to actually happen in the next story. So. Right. It uh, it promotes a story that is supposed to appear in Detective Comics number thirty eight, but we actually won't see until Batman number one. So. Yeah. That's more evidence, like we've talked about in previous episodes, that something weird was going on with the scheduling mm-hmm. in these stories. Something's being shuffled around. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I just really didn't care much for this story. It was kind of dull and had some kind of weird, nonsensy type of things in it. The uh, the action and fight scenes were on par with what we've seen. I really liked the bat, or the, the bat, the bit with Batman leaping from the pier and diverting the boat but the whole mystery comes down to the fact that a turg was in the phone book and b (laughs) b joey didn't die before he gave batman the phone number and also the batman got lost and just happened to stumble into the plot yeah yeah the intro was horrible and i i don't care about the villain really i mean why should we um there was lots of violence you know the poker and joey just gunning down tied up men and all that stuff the fights were and the the way the guy dies in the end was pretty violent, you know. Uh-huh. But yeah, and the art also just seemed to rush. Like I said, there was lots of these panels where Batman's back is to us and it's just his wings outspread because it's easy to draw that, I guess. Um, lots of silhouettes. Um, so yeah, other than the fighting, there wasn't a lot going on for this story. I thought the art was pretty strong, though. I mean, aside from the the, the silhouettes and stuff, which I think was just a technique to, to get the story out quicker... I thought it was pretty strong. It wasn't bad, but yeah, yeah, you could tell they were taking shortcuts. I do like the night vision goggle scene quite a bit. Yeah. So that's probably my favorite part of this whole story. At least uh, that whole page wasn't black. I mean, they actually did put some detail. That's into true. It. Yeah. yeah. I actually like the way they they colored it. It's pretty cool. Right. This story has been reprinted three times. Uh, first wow. in Batman number two thirty seven, which came out in nineteen seventy one. And then in Batman Archives Volume 1 and Batman Chronicles Volume 1. Cool. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Batgirl to Oracle is a podcast and site dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the Batgirl mantle for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1985. The goal of BTO is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continue on through her current tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at vintage issues of Detective Comics and Batman and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I examine Barbara Gordon's appearances in the media, such as TV, film, etc. I've been blessed to be able to interview writer Brian Q. Miller, and I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Please visit us online at batgirltooracle.net and look for us on iTunes. Thank you. How do you kill a man without fear? Hi everyone, I'm Johnny Freiburn. I'm Tyler Crow. And we are From Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast. And we are here to bring you a comprehensive view of Marvel's Man Without Fear. Without that pansy, Black Panther. As we cover every issue of Daredevil from the beginning. Starting with the 1960 series with... Tyler, why are you talking like that? Because we're a dark and gritty podcast. But Daredevil is actually a pretty lighthearted book in the beginning. I, I, I mean, it was? Yeah, so join along for all the fun and adventures of Silver Age Daredevil. With irony and Karen Page galore. At From Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast. Okay, so... Other stories in Detective Comics for this month. We have a one-page, like I guess it was like a history, it was Bizarre History and Animal Facts, and it was by George Flapp, and it was called Fantastic Facts. And then we had a six-page Bart Regan story, 
called The Ring of Death by Jerry Siegel and Maurice Kashuba. We had six pages of Cosmo Phantom of Disguise by Sven Elvin called Mutiny on the Seven Seas. And he actually disguises himself as cool. a boat engineer, complete with eye patch, striped shirt, and fake goatee. Cool. And But sadly, this is the last Cosmo story I think yeah. we will ever have. So. Well, at least he disguised himself in the last story. Right. So he, he went out with a sort of bang. Right. <laughs> um, then we have six pages of The Crimson Avenger by Jim Chambers and Harry Lucy called Laura... Burling Games, been kidnapped. And I believe this is the last Jim Chambers Crimson Avenger story. The last one he wrote, uh-huh. last one he writes. Last credit for DC period, as far as I am I know. But I think so, yes. So goodbye, Jim Chambers. Um, but Crimson Avenger will, will continue on with a new writer next issue. Um, then we have two pages of text called Murder by Sea by John Randall. And then we have a Speed Saunders six-pager called The Crime Roundup by Gardner Fox and Fred Gardiner. Six pages of Steve Malone, District Attorney, called Miss Cooper is Kidnapped. So I guess Laura Burlingame <laughs> and Miss Cooper are having a bad month. Um, yeah. That was by Don Lynch. We have six pages of a guy named of a guy called Cliff Crosby. I think this is the first time he's shown up. Or was he here last issue? I don't remember. I think I think he was in some earlier issues. Okay. Uh, maybe don't quote me on that. It's called Judge Carson, and it's by Chad Grothkoff. I could totally be butchering this name, but that's probably how you say it. We have a one-page humor strip called Tiny by uh, Nobody Knows. And we have, lastly, our... Are, are the same guy who shows up at the end of every, every one of these issues, Slam Bradley, 10 pages, called A Dynamite Gift by Jerry Siegel and Mark Bailey. And there is no cool punch opener for that one, unfortunately, and I believe oh. I believe this is the last Slam Bradley drawn by Mr. Bailey. So I think so, yes. I think that sounds right. So that's it for this issue of Detective. Outside of Detective Comics, it was a... Month of debuts, it looks like. Uh, we wow. had More Fun Comics, number 53. There was Adventure Comics, number 48, with the first appearance of Our Man by Ken Fitch and Bernard Bailey. And Our Man is Rex TikTok Tyler, who discovers a vitamin called Miraclo, which grants him superhuman strength and speed for one hour at a time. And he will eventually join up with some of the other heroes that have debuted for uh, some sort of society of some sort. And according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, this is the last book edited by Vin Sullivan. His last work of any sort for DC, actually. Sure. So, and uh, not to not to plug, but if everything goes according to plan, in episode 21 of my show, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, I will have a spotlight on Vin Sullivan. So, awesome. if you're interested in his career outside of DC Comics, as well as more what he did at DC, check that out. Yeah, I like when I like when you do creator spotlights because that's a very uh, unique thing for your show. Well, thank you. Nobody else is really doing that, and it's good stuff because as a uh, you know Marvel boy, I don't necessarily know a lot about these DC creators. So. Well, I'm glad you enjoy it. Yep. We also had Flash Comics number four, which is an all-American book. Superman number four, which was the first Superman issue that contained all new stories, because the first three issues were full of reprints. This is also the first published appearance of Lex Luthor, though it comes chronologically after the story in Action Comics number three or 23, uh, even though that comic went on sale later. And I'm calling this the first published appearance, assuming that the dates at Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics are correct, which until someone comes up with other information, I'm going to assume they are. Yeah. Um, but Action Comics number 23 is normally considered his first appearance, so... Hmm. And possibly just because it comes chronologically first. Right. So We also had All-American Comics number 13, which was another All-American book. There was Action Comics number 23, which, as I said, is the quote-unquote first appearance of Luthor. And it is also the first issue with a DC logo on the cover, and it, the, which will come to be known as the DC Bullet. And it reads, a DC publication. So I thought that was historically noteworthy. Uh-huh. 
And then we had a second issue of More Fun Comics, issue number 54. Uh, another notable comic out this month was Wiz Comics number two from Fawcett Comics, which is the first appearance of Ibis the Invincible, Spy Smasher, and Captain Marvel. Ooh, Captain Marvel, really? Captain Marvel. Cool. And well, also, of- let the lawsuit begin. <laughs> Very soon. And also of note this month was that the Superman radio show began on February 12th, and that's notable as far as this show is concerned because Batman and well, Batman will appear on several episodes from 1945 to 1948, including his and Superman's first adventure together in any medium. Yeah. We will be covering those. Yep. All the ones we can actually find, yeah. Right. Because some of them don't aren't known to exist. Right. Bummer. All right. So, anything else to say about February of 1940? Nope. Okay. I'm, I'm ready for March. Yeah, yeah. March will be very exciting. Um, I, I think actually, we should probably relish this moment if we like the, for the darker Batman, because I think from here on out it's going to be gradually lighter and lighter and lighter. That's a good point. Goodbye, antihero. Right. All right. Well, everything you need to know you can find on our website, located on the interwebs at BatmanLegends.com. Uh, There you'll find images and notes for all our episodes, as well as an RSS link, which you can use to subscribe to the show in whatever fashion that makes you happy. If iTunes makes you happiest, there's also an iTunes link on the site, which you can use to subscribe that way. And while you're waiting for iTunes to download all our episodes, why not take the time to leave us an iTunes review? Um, I think Mike said last episode that his goal is to get 12 whole reviews, so I think we can make that happen, can't we, people? Um, I'm shooting for 3,000 myself, but let's start with 12. Uh, And speaking of feedback, if you have something to say to us directly, you can do so by using the contact form on our site, or you can email us at podcast at batmanlegends.com. And if that's not enough ways to keep track of the show, the site also has our official Facebook and Twitter pages, so you can like or follow us that way, depending on which form of social media you choose to subscribe to. and if you just can't get enough of the awesome hosts on the show, my co-host Michael Bradley has his very own weekly Superman show called The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, uh, where he talks about Golden Age Superman, and you can find that at greatcrypton.com. And I have a monthly show called The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast, which I co-host with John Wilson, and we cover pretty much Captain America appearances in, in all the eras, Golden Age, Silver Age, and Modern. And you can find that at themightyshield.com. Lastly, be sure to visit our partner site, Batman Yesterday, Today, and Beyond, a fan site for Batman comics, toys, figures, news, and more. And you can find them at batmanytb.com. Next week, we move on to March of 1939, where we will cover Detective Comics number 38 and the first appearance of, well, just two minutes. Batman's illegitimate son, Ralph. (laughs) Right. Tune in next week. That he had with Julie Madison. Right. That would have been cool. Anyway, that's not at all who we're going to be seeing next week, but tune in to find out who. Uh, So as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and copyright DC Comics.